It's recording. Okay. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to uh, another edition of the podcast, formerly known as 100 Yards Podcast. And no, your eyes are not fooling you. We have a third screen and a special guest joining us this week for a special discussion on uh, UMass football, you know, surprisingly, is um, our friend Connor McQuistion. So, uh, Connor, can you, like, please uh, give some info to the audience about yourself? Hey, so uh, I'm Connor. Uh, I... Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, you might, uh, you probably don't, you might not know me on Twitter. Uh, I'm the guy that posts the, uh, all the, all the graphs after every college football game. Uh, I'm also Connor Mick Analytics uh, on Twitter, just because I'm pretty sure Betts, uh, this big NFL account, subtweeted me one time and called me Mick Analytics, and I think that's funny. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, we can talk about that later if it comes up. Uh, I'm a junior. I go to the University of Michigan, go blue. Uh, so that saddens me to my very core. Uh, but since I am a math and physics major, I do a lot of numbers all the time. Uh, so now I do numbers with college football stuff, and I make and I make pretty graphs. And uh, it I and now I can use my numbers to talk about how bad UMass is, which is which is really fun. So that's why I'm here. Yeah, thanks, Connor. It's an introduction. We're pretty excited. Uh, Mark, do you have any opening statements uh, before we hop into this discussion? Um, I think, you know, this is, you know, you may not be very familiar with the UMass program before we dive into this, but I think you will be pleasantly surprised with some of the excellent insights and uh, commentary we have for you today. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. So uh, speaking of UMass, you know, just a little introduction, like I find UMass to be probably one of the more fascinating cases in college football, just given their trajectory. Joining FBS in the Mid-American Conference is sort of a travel partner to Buffalo and then getting kicked out three years later because the Atlantic 10 is a better place for college basketball than the Mid-American uh, Mid Conference. So now they've been rolling independent, uh, playing some of their games at Gillette here and there, you know, in front of 90% empty stadiums, but mostly playing at home back in Amherst. And they're kind of like the lost soul of college football because everyone's saying they don't belong in FBS. And that's kind of showed this year where in August they called off their season, said we're not playing. We're like, okay, that makes sense. UConn's not playing. New Mexico State's not playing. So UMass shouldn't. And then they uh, reversed course a month later and said, okay, we'll play some limited games. And um, it hasn't been pretty, to say the least. And this was evident, at least for the offense, um, in their most recent game against Florida Atlantic on national TV on a Friday night on the big stage of CBS Sports Network. And uh, as I sat there eating a large pizza, having a one-man party for myself uh, for this huge occasion, uh, something someone caught my eye. Well, first, the... How bad the offense was caught my eye. And uh, I know, Connor, you have some numbers regarding UMass's offensive ineptitudes. Yeah, so, okay, so I have, so I made up, so I essentially made up this metric. It's called predictive drive points. Uh, so what it is, is I look at the, so I look at where the drive starts and the game state. So the score difference, how much time is left, where they are on the field. Uh, and then I say, then I see how well the drive, how, how well the drive went, depending on a couple different metrics. Uh, and then I predict based on that, how many points they're supposed to score. Uh, and then for fun, I look at that like per drive and it, and it actually looks to be a pretty good metric for how good an offense or defense is. It lines up pretty well with EPA per play, if you're familiar with that. Um, so some quick, so, the, so an average drive uh, across all of college football is two points across the entirety of college football. The average three of out is like 0.02 points. Uh, UMass's average drive is 0.18 points. So it's like barely better than a, like obviously like about 
0.2 is about 10 times greater than 0.02, but also you're averaging less than the point of drive. You, <laughs> it's very bad. Like it's atrocious. It's not, but the funny thing is it's actually not the off, worst offense we've seen over the playoff era uh, because that would go to 20, 2019 Akron. Uh, so 2019 Akron, they went over 12 and I, I, I did have, I don't have their their advanced numbers pulled up because I actually don't think I need to. So over their 12 games, they scored 126 points. So they averaged 10 points a game. Uh, so they, and of course, that's an average over the course of their schedule. They here is game logs. Uh, they got they got shut out twice. They scored less than 10 points. One, two, three. Sit. Like over half of their schedule, they scored less than 10 points. The offense is just abysmal, and UMass is approaching those levels. Uh, and now, granted, from from like just an institutional perspective of where they are and how they view their pro- their football program, they're already at disadvantage. But like this is putrid when you're barely better than three and out on average on your offense. This is why they shouldn't be in the FBS, basically, and it's very funny. Yeah, that's actually hilarious. Oh, go ahead, Marshall. No, I was, I was just you know, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, like, you already broke two rules on our on our podcast. Uh, one, there'll be no Cato Nelson, uh, twenty seventeen Mac East Division champs uh, slander on this podcast, and uh, UMass belongs in FBS as far as I'm concerned. I can't go through another Idaho. It's not going to be good for my mental health. <laughs> well, uh, well, Tom Arth was the head coach of Akron in twenty nineteen, so hopefully that uh, I I was unaware that I broke those rules. <laughs> it's all right we'll yeah. forgive you this time but uh which brings us all this offensive uh ineptitude and failures bring us to our, our point in that game one player from umass shined believe it or not and no i don't mean the defense they gave up 24 points and uh you know unfortunately umass lost but one george georgopoulos their punter had a breakout game on national tv and i pull out some of the key stats in that game he had 10 punts for 41.4 yards average, so 414 yards against FAU. Uh, some of his more notable punts, he had, th- he had two rockets in particular, a 60-yard punt to the FAU 8, which I'll talk about later on, uh, a 54-yard punt from UMass's own 12 to, 50, to flip field position, excuse me, a nice coffin corner to the FAU 11 that covered 34 yards, and a 49-yard punt to the FAU 9. So in that, with that 60-yard punt to FAU, to the eight, I mean, the UMass defense played stout most of the night, except for the, you know, 24 points they gave up, uh, you know, and uh, gave up a three, a three and out. And then the next play on fourth down, a blocked punt out of the end zone. So I think you can give those points to George Georgopoulos, meaning the UMass offense has only scored 12 points all year. So George Georgopoulos is responsible for one-sixth of UMass's scoring output. What other player in the country can say that? But um, going on, going on to his uh, season stats, he also had some notable punts against Marshall. Um, he had a 56-yard punt uh, from the UMass 11 and a 55-yard punt from the UMass 12. Again, flipping field position and keeping UMass in a 51 to 10 game as much as they could be uh, <laughs> against a nationally ranked uh, Marshall team. Uh, on the season, he's got 24 punts for um, a 41.4-yard average, I believe. Uh, I'm messing with average bit, but it's it's a it's above. Actually, it's, I think it's 39 yards. I'll have to verify that. Um, and some of his rankings within the country that I was given by uh, Jared Lee 
uh, a member of the analytics community that Connor referred me to. Um, he does punt analytics along with the, the punt runs uh, on Twitter. And his uh, rankings are as follows. First in punts per game at eight punts. Second in gross punt yards per game, 309.6 yards. Second in net punt yards per game, uh, 296.3 yards. Third in return percentage, 8.3% of his punts have, re- have been returned. Punt returners shake in their boots when they, when they have to field a George Jordopoulos kick. And he's third in EPA above expected on punts between his own 40 and 50 yard runs. So if you've got to pin an opponent deep, you just got to call it George Georgeopolis. Uh, really a standout year, really a bright spot um, for this UMass team, which is why I think he's, I mean, I think he's in the running or should be at least for the Ray Guy Award because, I mean, every other punter that's in the country is a formality, you know, like to give him, give that punter the award. But Georgeopolis, like, might as well be team MVP with all these stats he's putting up. I want to know your thoughts, guys. Yeah, I think, so it's, it's really, I was looking into it a little bit, and it's kind of a travesty, really. He didn't get it last year, too. So if you look at last year's winner, um, we're looking at Max Duffy from Kentucky. He finished the year with 49 points for 2,358 yards. you have any idea what kind of stats our boy George Georgopoulos finished with last year? I'd love to hear. 79 points for 3,116 yards. He absolutely dwarfed Max Duffy's attempts and total yardage. Like, it's just absolutely astounding. No one got used more than him. I mean, I, I, okay, I don't know if anyone didn't get used more than him. But clearly, he was used much more than the award winner. And he wasn't just – and it's not like he was just punting up a bunch of, you know, like, crappy punts up there. Like, if you look in, at his uh, – when he, like, he pinned the opponent inside the 20 on 22 of those occasions. That's almost – that's more than uh, – what is that? A third – Less than a third? I don't know. It's around a third. <laughs> Give or take. Give or take. <laughs> um, this man, he's not inept. He's not inept. And if you look at it this year, he would actually – so remember, uh, the stats that Omar quoted, this is only through three games played. Like, if you look at it extrapolating what this would be on track for, if the Minutemen had, like, a full schedule, maybe they should pull a New Mexico State and start scheduling Highlands and, what, Dixie State was it? Like, like seriously, like, give this man a little bit of exposure. He can be the biggest storyline of your program in the last 20, 30 years. Andy Isabella, come on, come on, Marshall. I'm just come on. Come Andy on. Isabella didn't win no awards. He was a finalist, though. Hey, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know how many punters uh, have more punt yardage than their quarterbacks do uh, passing yardage. And his, his last name's Georgeopolis, which is, frankly, that's all I need to be on the – Georgeopolis <laughs> for Heisman train. That's all I need. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you guys, you guys summed it up phenomenally. And on UMass, on, should only be attributed like twelve points for their offense. Uh, that that seems a bit rich for my blood. Uh, even with <laughs> so, like with with my metrics, look, I can so with the so I with being able to predict how many points a drive should get, I can then predict how many how many points a team should score. Mm-hmm. And by my numbers, UMass only has five. So I mean, really, if we if we keep up with the galaxy brain right now, uh, we can we can attribute almost the enti- over a half of U- of UMass's points scored to George Georgopoulos. Uh, so and I don't know any other punter that's scored nine points for a team. So if anything, I think that I think he should win the Heisman. Not even the right guy, frankly. <laughs> name, name name a single player more valuable to their team uh, than Georgopoulos is to UMass. I dare. Yeah. I mean, bringing up uh, more 
uh, bring up more stats, mute myself for a second. Um, I did uh, what I could. I'm not as, not even close to being as well-versed as Connor is, but I did uh, opportunity rates and success rates for, um, for uh, UMass's three games. So I'm going to pull it up right now. And it, I'll just warn you, it's just not pretty. There is just no explosiveness. Um, you know, the UMass offense is so unexplosive. You know, they get passed by by airport security. You know, they're just not a bomb threat. <laughs> and uh, going back to the – so if you look at their first game, look at the first game against Georgia Southern. National televised on ESPN2. Uh, running the ball, they had 31 carries, only nine opportunities. So rushes over five yards and nine successes for an opportunity and success rate of 29%, really low. Uh, passing the ball, they only had a 20 24% success rate. So success rate is uh, – pretty much on first down, as we mentioned last week. It's uh, first down, you get 50% of the yardage. Second down, you get 70% of the first down yardage and 100% on third and fourth down. So when they're passing the ball, you'd think it'd be more successful or like more efficient, but they're only, they're only at a 24% um, clip right there in that Georgia Southern game. Going on to the next game against Marshall, it got worse, especially running the ball. They only had five carries out of 25 beyond five yards. Uh, six successes for a 24% rate. Passing the ball was a little bit better, but they benefited from a couple trick plays. Uh, reverse flea flicker pass and a halfback pass. And even still, on 26 attempts, their success rate was 35%. Really putrid. The FAU was, um, you know, I guess their crowning achievement being on national TV. They had to save the best for last or the worst for last. Um, with 21 rushing attempts, they had only three successes for a 14% rate, five carries beyond five yards for a 24% opportunity rate. And passing the ball, they're only at a 27% success rate. So UMass's offense is just, uh, I mean, they say, they say as humans we have a, you know, a taste for the bad, which is why so many people like the, the movie The Room, you know. So I, I think, and honestly, I kind of I like the UMass offense for that reason. But I like George Rajapos more. I mean, it just shows how important he is. And, I mean, to, on top of that, America loves a comeback story. Imagine this, on national TV, on ESPN2, first punt of the season, you know, you're excited. Your punt goes for eight yards. And then Georgia Southern scores. I mean, moving on to that, like, like past that, he's got uh, 23 punts for a 40.9-yard average. America loves a comeback story. And Georgia Rodopoulos epitomizes everything that America stood for. I mean, and we need that, especially in this tight, you know, heated election season. We needed someone to rally behind, and America should rally behind George Georgopoulos. It's really that never give up attitude, that can-do spirit that's America's built on, Omar. I think I don't think I could have said it better myself. I'm down. I've seen no reason not to be at this point. Uh, George Georgopoulos, first overall pick. I yes, write the card. Jets, you won't regret it. Let's let's do this. I don't even care. He's not eligible this year. I'm not going to check. No one else will. He just deserves it. I will add some fuel to the fire. Um, I mean, we here we need some viewers and listeners. So I want I want to fire up Texas fans. I want to fire up FSU fans because FSU fans have been called out this week by Dabo. And um, I think the two I guess best punting performances that we uh, you know I guess they're like the gold standard are the Michael Dixon game in the 2017 Texas Bowl. Uh, I've been a fan of you know for the past three years and Graham Gano's performance in the 2008 Champ Sports Bowl where both punters won their MVPs. And I will say this. George Georgopoulos' performances, it was better. It was better than the Michael Dixon punt game and the Graham Gino MVP performance. And here's my reasoning for this. Okay, yes, Michael Dixon punted 11 times for 452 yards. Yeah, that's a lot. But 
Georgopoulos had 10 punts for 414 yards, and he had some absolute rockets. The 60-yard punt I mentioned, a 54-yard punt, not to mention it was on a Friday, it was on a Friday night on CBS Sports Network, so the nation was watching instead of Louisville-Syracuse and uh, Minnesota-Purdue. But he also scored the team's only two points. Michael Dixon's team scored 33, and Graham Cano's team scored 42 in a in a 42 to 13 game. Like, honestly, is anyone going to remember the Michael Dixon game or the Graham Cano game? They'll remember the George Rajapos punt game. No, are you totally right? I mean, in the in the bowels of history, you know, we're going to go down, and who are we going to remember? You know, Michael Dixon. We're not going to remember Michael Dixon. Graham Gano. It's like, okay, I've seen Graham Gano on, like, the fantasy wire, you know. But if you saw a guy named George Georgopoulos, the name alone, the na- he was named <laughs> – the name's so nice, they gave it to him twice. <laughs> Come on now. You're going to remember that man forever. I mean, we, we, ha- we, have, a, we have an all-American caliber punter, a Heisman, Heisman winning caliber punter uh, in, a, in a small uh, – kind of small northeastern school with an with a uh, administration that clearly doesn't care about football in a region of in a region of america that outside the patriots does not care about football uh kicking bombs deep downfield scoring points for his team his putrid team i i see no reason not i see no reason not to i don't i even remember those two names you you brought up earlier who's graham gano who's michael dixon couldn't tell you. NFL players? Absolutely not. They're not George Georgopoulos, which is the only thing I care about right now. He's just incredible. I mean, if you think about it, really. No, go ahead, Marshall. If you think about it, really, ever since, you know, this last year, Tom Brady left the Patriots, I mean, name me one other football player from the Northeast. You can't. You just can't. I will say this, um, you know, adding context. Yes, Michael Dixon's exploits were great. Uh, yes, I do regret missing the Michael Dixon punt game for going on a date that night. You know, I, I regret it all. But <laughs> Dixon had 11 punts, and I think I'm um, pulling it up right now. I forget how many exactly are down inside the 15. Uh, 10 punts inside the Missouri 15. Okay, like, his team scored 33 points. You know, people are going to remember Sam Ellinger's performance better. Uh, same with Graham Cano. Like, pretty much Cano had five punts. Uh, a 58-yard long, but that's only one punt over 50 yards. Georgiopoulos had two, four inside the 20, but his team won 42-13. to 13, and No one was really impressive on Florida State. So it was a formality. It's like, hey, why don't we give the punter, make this make our bowl more memorable. Um, Georgiopoulos' game, it will, it will go down in, um, you know, the annals of not only UMass history, but I think um, really Northeastern football history, like you guys have been saying. Um, I mean, it's like if you think about it, what's the difference between – you know, Michael Dixon and George Dropolis. It's just the brand, you know. Finally, you know, it's like, so these teams, you know, Florida State of Texas, they have, you know, a high-powered offense. They're scoring points, you know. So it's like people are going to watch those games. They're going to remember those games. Those punters aren't getting opportunities. So it's two factors. It's one, the, the teams are carried by a strong brand. And two, um, those punters don't get opportunities a lot. When you have a punter consistently hitting bombs out there on the field, dropping a nukes inside the 10-yard line like George Dropolis, you know, people are going to forget it. They're going to take him for granted. And that's what we're here today for, people. You should not take him for granted. Enjoy him while he's here because, unfortunately, good things do not last forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just on the consistency point, you know, it's one thing to have, you know, a good, a good punt of every five punts like uh, Florida State did in that, in that bowl game. You know, you usually have about 12 possessions a game. So you're punting on five of those. 
you know, that's no big deal. I can do that really poorly. Uh, but, you know, to come out there consistently 11, 12, 10 times a game, every drive, in and out, just bombing, bombing this punt return team. Who else can do that? Only George Georgopoulos. Don't fact check me. No one cares, nerd. Uh, George Georgopoulos is the best punter in America. Look, I think the only person I can think of that drops more bombs inside of enemy territory would probably have to be, uh, you know, Barack Obama. I mean, quite <laughs> frankly. <laughs> That's only when civilians are nearby. This is a little different. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and, this, and this time, there's no civilians. There's no little kids. So it's actually good. I think, I think uh, with that, we should talk to, uh, <laughs> we should talk about something that is, you know, way less risky and, and uh, a lot, a lot more, um, you know, what, what the public is used to. The playoff race, the first playoff race came out tonight. And, um, you know, while some of you guys may watch this podcast during it, you know, to get your uh, weekly share of George Virgopoulos, a lot of us will be uh, in front of our TVs um, looking at uh, just, you know, where teams stand, where does Cincinnati, where does BYU stand, you know, particularly. But uh, there's been two playoff contenders that no one's been talking about, really. And that is Texas A&M, who, at, you know, this Saturday, I just realized is number five. They seem like to be, they seem to be the quietest number five in the playoff era. And Miami, who is fighting the ACC and might be one of three one-loss ACC schools in a very messy situation. So I want to ask you guys, like, do you guys think that either of these teams has a path to the playoff? You know... I, I don't, uh, unfortunately. I think, you know, Texas A&M, they're not going to get a shot at the title game, for instance, right? Uh, you know, they're one loss. You know, it's, it's tough because their loss is to, you know, an incredibly strong Alabama team. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to get in that conference championship, I think you're at a huge disadvantage. I mean, we remember several years ago, I mean, that's the advent of, you know, like the Big 12 title game. That's the advent of, like, all these conferences doing that because they want to get in the playoff. They want to be high ranked. And if you're not going to be in the playoff, I don't see an argument to be made, especially if you get a Cincinnati winning their conference. You know, if Texas A&M won their conference, 100%, I could see them over Cincinnati, you know. But it's like, even if, even if let's imagine you put Texas A&M in the SEC East, right? Uh, and they lose to Alabama during the regular season, then they go and let's say they split and they take the championship, right? Okay, then I see a scenario where you have two SEC teams being Texas and Alabama, Texas A&M and Alabama. Um, but otherwise, you know, I just don't see, I think that conference game is going to be too important to the committee. Yeah. I mean, we, we have seen a case of, uh, of a non-conference champion, a, a non-conference champion going to the, uh, going to the playoffs twice. Now it was Alabama, not last year, but two his freshman year. Uh, they lost to Georgia in the SEC championship and they still went, uh, and Ohio state in 2016 or maybe tw- I think 2016, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, but then, but, and t- actually Ohio State didn't even play in the conference championship game because Penn State went. Uh, and th- you can argue some shenanigans with, uh, so you argue some, I don't think either of them really have a path. Um, just for Texas A&M to go, Alabama has to like lose out or something. And Florida also has to lose, has to lose another couple of games. I don't foresee that happening to Miami to go. Notre Dame, like Notre Dame would have to lose multiple games. Clemson would have to lose multiple games. A Pac-12 team wouldn't, would have to not go undefeated. Ohio State would have to not go undefeated. And then the committee 
then the committee would have to decide Miami over BYU and Cincinnati, which I, I don't see it. And even if these chaos things do happen, these chaos theory things do happen, I don't think either of them really deserve it. Texas A&M is just Florida with the worst offense. By my numbers, Miami's essentially as good as Auburn and Texas. So, like, I don't – and we're, the only reason we're not talking about them is because they lost multiple games because they don't play in the ACC. So, like, I don't, I don't see a path. And I, even if they, this chaos theory path does happen, I don't think they deserve it. I'd have to agree. Um, like, I think the one thing, the only thing that's a scary thought that you bring with Miami is Clemson's usually a cross-divisional foe um, as Miami's in the Atlantic. So imagine an undefeated Miami, like, with their best win being against, at this point, uh, four-loss uh, NC State. Like, you know, would you imagine that they go undefeated with that type of resume? Do you think they'd still be in the playoff? I mean, even if they, like, they lost the ACC title game with a resume like that? Who, Clemson? Uh, no, I'm talking about Miami because oh. that's that's Miami's only loss to Clemson. I mean the, I mean for Miami to have a chance, they would have to win in the ACC championship against Notre Dame or Clemson. I mean, I just don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. I think they would have a much better chance of being Notre Dame, but I still even then. Chaos scenario: What if Miami goes beats Notre Dame? <laughs> Do they have to play in this game? No, it's, it's, let's oh. say they meet in the championship. Oh, I then I would I would be more worried. I would be more worried about laughing at the Notre Dame uh, people that follow me on Twitter because the meltdown would be hysterical <laughs> uh, more than Miami getting in the playoff. Because even then, I even if Miami were to win the ACC championship, I think BYU or Cincinnati or the second place SEC team would get in before them. So I'm kind of like I'm kind of curious about the disrespect towards like Texas A&M because after all they did beat Florida like that is a signature win and their only loss is to Bama so like can you blame them for that resume like I mean honestly I think all things in perspective Texas A&M might have a better resume than Ohio State when it's all said and done and possibly even like I mean well of course impactful but possibly even Ohio State with Ohio State playing I think uh, seven games eight with the the conference championship game so I mean I'm kind of like not really getting like the the disrespect towards, you know, the Aggies. I mean, they've done all they could except for Bama. But, I mean, who, I mean, who else is beating Bama, you know? Yeah, okay, I, don't, I mean, but it's yeah. like – no, go ahead, Connor. Oh, and I was going to say that their, their win over Florida wasn't fluky, and I just wanted to make sure of that. Uh, no, but you can go. That's all I wanted to say real quick. Oh, I, was, I mean, it's like at the end of the day – I think it just goes back, you know, as Connor mentioned, there was a couple a couple outliers, I'll call them, uh, that made it to the, the playoff, you know, without winning their conference. But it's like, uh, man, I mean, I think there's just too strong of a, of a format, or not a format, too strong of a contention of teams this year. You know, it's like maybe if this were a weak year and you didn't have, you know, an argument of like a strong argument to be made for, you know, six, seven, maybe even eight teams to be in the top four. Um, then you can put them in, but it's like in that case you're gonna need some super strong teams like resumes to get in. I mean, you're gonna have obviously Alabama. You know, if Notre Dame doesn't lose out, they're obviously in. You know, and then it's like okay, Ohio State probably in if they win out, right? And then it's like okay, so you have a fourth spot, and you have potentially you know Texas A&M, you have a Miami, you have a Cincinnati, you have maybe even a BYU. You know, you have all these teams. You know, 
like maybe if Oregon goes undefeated, that's five other teams that could make an argument, a contentious argument for that fourth spot. I think it's going to be too much to overcome if they don't win their conference. Cause you're going to have an Oregon, let's say, you know, that wins a conference. You're going to have a Cincinnati that wins a conference. It's like, what, what else? It's like, yeah, you know, they've done what they can, but at the same time, it's like, it's just still, you know, not enough. I think. I, mean, I, I think I also, that's a good point. Oh, go ahead, Connor. I, I also think their number five ranking is more of a formality uh, because it seems like it seems to be some sort of consensus that Florida is better than them overall. I wouldn't be so quick to jump on that train, but it just seems like, okay, well, we want to put Florida high, but Texas A&M beat them. So, and it wasn't like a fluky way. So I guess we have to put Texas A&M above Florida. That's it. Like it feels more like a formality. Especially just because when, when you look on their look at their play on the field, which isn't necessarily the barometer to get anyone in the playoff outside of like Ohio State in 2016, like they're just not of they're just not a they don't play like a playoff caliber team. They play like North Carolina, Washington, Oregon. Like they are just not a. They just happen to they just happen to play some cupcakes. Like they played Mississippi State, Arkansas, which was a tough game, uh, and they actually should have lost to Arkansas. Uh, in South Carolina. So they just had, and they got whooped by Bama. So like, I just don't, I, I think they're overrated is basically what I'm trying to say. Hey, I mean, you know, in the SEC, it just means more, you know, I mean, you can't, you can't deny that. <laughs> yeah. Cause we know, yeah. Cause Van, Vandy, Mississippi State and South Carolina, they're just real powerhouses, you know, no one can beat them outside of the SEC. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I totally, I mean, I totally agree with uh, your guys' points. Um, I think this is just, I mean, I think this is a breath of, breath of fresh air, excuse me, compared to last year's title, uh, playoff race when we were literally, you know, watching Utah, Oregon, and then it was really anticlimactic on Saturday once Utah lost, and it's really just the winner of Oklahoma, Baylor. I mean, there's just simply more choices this year, and I think as college football fans, we're all thankful, especially, you know, uh, you know, a group of five fans like myself are thankful for Cincinnati. Hopefully Cincinnati can break the hump. I mean, if, like, especially, like, if you have a team that's played way more games than, I mean, a lot of power fives and they still don't make it, then there's flaws in the system. Like, this 2020 isn't just a pivotal year in terms of, like, elections. It's a pivotal year for the playoff because it'll really, like, show their cards. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see where the, where the CFP's mind is at tonight because that usually is all you need to tell, especially, like, I think two years ago when, UCF was riding that win streak and they gave them the formality number seven. Like you really don't have a chance ranking. It's like, okay, I see where you guys stand. Yeah. I mean, this is honestly like the best argument we have for like playoff expansion. And it's like, yeah, there's a few teams that are clear cut, you know, great teams, but there's a lot of teams that are also very good. And, you know, in sports, we know anything can happen. You know, you put Cincinnati, you put BYU, you put, you put Texas A&M against Alabama again. I can't tell you for certain that Alabama is going to win. You know, I, like, I can tell you for certain that Alabama will whoop them again. It, <laughs> be, it would not be a good game. You don't think? No. Okay. No, not, not even a little bit. No. Uh, fair, enough. fair enough. Well, I will say, you know, there's a lot. The point is there's a lot of good teams and there's a lot of football that could potentially and should be, you know, play to determine who really truly is the best team, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you guys are right. I don't think I'm – I've been looking at a lot of recruiting data recently just because I have more time over break. And it – and I'm starting to buy – I'm starting to buy in to why, like, people's – there's some 
there, it won't happen. It will never happen. But the thoughts of like there should be like a separate like group of five playoff. Uh, I'm starting to buy into that a little more just because the talent discrepancy is almost insurmountable, and it saddens me to say it. But like it's just like Alabama recruits on a wholly different level than Cincinnati and Cincinnati BYU, where I don't even know what they could do to really be competitive with them at some point. So like. I don't know. I think it'd be fun. I'd be all for it. I just, I just don't really like see how it happens. My, my personal thoughts of what's like the most likely playoff scenario. I think Bama waxes Florida. Uh, the Clemson is going to beat Notre Dame, and then Ohio. They're going to put in Ohio State because they have played like. Assuming that Justin Fields doesn't have the worst game of his career since he was probably like thirteen, again, uh, they'll they'll sneak in at number four, at number three or number four. So it'll be. Bama, probably Clemson, uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame. That that's just my guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I understand, I guess that you know the talent discrepancy. I mean, some some may argue, you know, kind of could be shifting around the other way. You know, I remember, you know, the last couple of years ago, we had the first five star recruit to go to a group of five school at Oliver to Houston. You know, I mean, maybe potentially there's some inroads that could be made there. I don't know. I don't know. I I am. Um... Not optimistic on that front. I think at all, like you might get, like, hey, you might get the one-off high four-star, five-star type going to the Cooper Five every so often, but I don't foresee it being like a consistent thing. Recruiting is remarkably, remarkably consistent, depressingly consistent. Uh, like it's re- like it's really upsetting to think about for a half second that at any given time, you know, there's only like 15, 20 schools that really have a legit shot to compete. And then, like, you're just like, oh, wait, USC has a good coach now. Now they're unstoppable again. It, it's really depressing to think about a little bit. But, like, unless you're in a Power 5 conference, I don't see how you can, like, really, like, approach that. Which I hate to be a, I hate to be a downer. I don't like it either. But that just seems to be what it's like. Yeah, like, something we brought up uh, earlier in earlier editions is – the BYU lawsuit that led to BCS busters. And I really feel like that's a, something that could happen this year. And we would like valid evidence, like, you know, especially like 2018 UCF. But I mean, I, I just can't get, I can't see myself supporting a group of five playoff because like, that's, um, I mean, what happens if you do have a year, you know, like 1984 BYU and literally everyone loses and then left standing is, you know, the, the whack champion winning the national title against a six-win team at the Holiday Bowl. Like, I mean, that, that's, what make, that's what made college football great in those days. It makes it great now. I mean, I just don't think we, we should ever give up and just toss up, throw in the towel for a group of five playoff. But that, that's just the believer in me. <laughs> yeah, it's like at that rate, why not just, like, go to FCS? Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be for, like, a, like, if you went to six and then group of five, then you had some a chance for group of five Cinderella's, I'd be down. I, I just don't think it would happen very often if ever so I'd, I'd be down be a good time for like six i i have a harder time convincing myself of eight because if i get you get to eight i think you're getting some undeserving teams in the playoff but I'm six i could see six i think six is a good number as well considering um you know growing massachusetts one of my favorite conferences the big east uh rest in peace <laughs> uh you know that was a six power conference and if anything i think the American now is, is better than the post-Miami Big East. 
And, you know, just having like a spot for, I mean, you know, pretty much all five power conferences and, you know, Cooper five, but, you know, in most years it will be the American for realistic. I mean, I think that's, I agree. That's like a totally natural and good expansion for the playoff. Now, you want to have like, yeah, like power five and at large type of thing? Yeah. I still think it should be even more. I think it should be like 16 or something ridiculous. <laughs> Just create I, pure that, chaos. Oh, I'm, I'm down for chaos. But realistically, I, I mean, you have to cut regular season games out at that point to like. I'd be fine with that. Player safety. <laughs> yeah, but the people who make the TV contracts wouldn't. And, that, and that's what drives college football, unfortunately. Sure. That, that is true, yeah. Uh, I, I will leave. I will, I will leave the uh, a solution to TV contracts within college football is trivial and left to the reader. But <laughs> I mean, maybe this well, is where this is where the whole argument for streaming comes in. You know, I, you you would still just you would just have they would just be contracts with different people. No, I mean sure, but it's like if you could contract then streaming maybe on a per game basis, maybe even individualize it up to the schools. You know, that'd be kind of interesting. I mean, we're, we're just diving into hypotheticals at this point. Sure. <laughs> we have talked about this before in uh, one of our summer podcasts, um, CUSA on CBS, Pac-12 on Netflix. I mean, quote, unquote, that is the title. I mean, we, we did dive into that. So, I mean, we, we do think streaming might be the future. Um, and, you know, that might open up things for playoff, but that remains to be seen. Uh, what is, what we can see is on Tuesday, December 1st, we'll have a little bit of a CUSA after breakfast. Uh, today, West, I think it was either today or yesterday, West Kentucky and Charlotte rescheduled their game, postponed it to Tuesday morning, not even the night, in the morning. And, um, you know, of course, it's a, it's a pandemic 2020 type scheduling thing, but I mean, do we see a future for this for, I guess, the, you know, weekday, weekday morning games or weekday afternoon games? It's pretty weird. I mean, who will watch if anybody? Yeah, I definitely don't think there's a future for that. Uh, unfortunately, you know, as much as we would li- probably like it. Uh, I mean, it's like, you know, going back to, you know, Connor's point, you know, college football is driven by, you know, these con- these TV contracts. And if there's no viewers on a Tuesday morning, I mean, everyone's at work, like, what, your your three-year-old at home is going to watch this game? Like, come on now. Like, there's, no, there's going to be no one to watch it. Therefore, there's going to be no reason to schedule it because there's no money to be made. I mean, like, oh. what, tell me, what programs are usually on at that time? Like, like what show comes on after like Good Morning America? You know, it's like no one knows. Children's no one knows. television. That's that's what children's television. It, yeah, uh, it's like come on now. No, one, there's no there's no future for this. Yeah, that and that and the NC and they would like to keep up the veneer of the student athlete shenanigan. So and there's class and during a semester there's classes at ten thirty. So you know, they won't they won't schedule, uh, like they they won't schedule noon games on a Tuesday. Even if you want to move to a later slot, just because there's classes, then yeah, so I think this is just a oh we're on break, and uh, and there's a pandemic, so no one's got anything to do anyway. So I guess we might as well play on a Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday night some action. I hope it never goes away. Oh, amen. I agree, and I will say this: like for me, when I heard the news that on a Tuesday morning I get to see Tyrell Pigrome, Tyrell Pigrome, another great. Uh, Comeback story, fifth-year senior, 2-0 against Texas. Um, you know, get to continue his great season with, with zero picks and over 200 throws. I mean, he's having a quietly good year. Like, I got excited. Like, you know, Tyler Pogrom getting his own TV slot, you know. Um, but I, I do have to agree with you guys. I have to be realistic. And, uh, you know, 
I guess even then, you know, old, old people would rather watch Drew Carey on The Price is Right instead of, you know, accuse of football, especially if there's no, not really many bowl implications in this game. I mean, yeah. Matt says, we should make this an event. We should make this fantastic. <laughs> I just go all out. Be Do whatever your normal tailgate is, but times 20 for a Tuesday morning game. I am all for that. I'd say even Jim Nance and Tony Romo on the mic. They're not doing anything. <laughs> don't don't even You're don't let him. them prepare. Don't let them prepare. Just let them <laughs> just let them riff on this QC game. On Omar's point, I think Drew Carey out of the woodwork with the Adam Sandler, the price is wrong. <laughs> God, that's such a good movie. Happy Gilmore for the listeners at home that don't get this reference. Uh, Adam Sandler had this string of 90s movies that are all terrible, but they're so good. I love all of them. <laughs> Billy Madison's probably the best, though. Hot take, hot take. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I have to agree, but, uh, you know, I, I just think it's exciting. I mean, CUSA has been desperate in the past for, like, TV, you know, exposure, whether it be, like, their short partnership with uh, BN Sports, uh, an international soccer network. And then, you know, them having games on an NFL network as well. Um, this move is perfectly CUSA, but, you know, I, I, I like it. Yeah. It would be interesting. If contracts were to move towards streaming, then perhaps you could target a demographic that's working, who really just would rather be watching football the, during the day at their desks. You know, that could be kind of interesting. But, you know, you know, Connor made a good point earlier about the student-athlete veneer. Yeah. That, yeah, that, I mean, that's, so, you know, in my mind, that's the biggest yeah. hurdle from Tuesday morning games. Maybe they can try and get in on, like, uh, once, I, I don't know when ES, uh, the reason the Mac has the uh, weeknight games is because they have, a con- like, an exclusive contract with that on ESPN. Maybe, maybe Houston can get in on that. So, you know, maybe they have some TV exposure, but it's pretty rough at the moment for Houston to try and get much of anything going. Yeah, I'd have to agree, but, um, you know, I guess we'll just have to see. I, I think 10.30 is when my uh, last class in the morning ends. I might have an afternoon class. And I think that's actually a busy day. I have a presentation that day. So um, I'll have to manage my time right. But, again, we'll see, like I said, Tyro Pagrome having a nice year for the Hilltoppers. America, tune in, you know. Um, this man Go is tops. 2-0 against Texas. What, what was that, Connor? Go Tops. That's their oh, hashtag. Yeah, Go Tops. <laughs> With that, um, unless you guys have any any other thoughts um, on Pogrom, Georgopolis, or anything, um, we should be set. I just want to say I think the title for this one should be George Georgopolis. The name's so nice, they gave it to him twice. I think that was so, It's a good name. That's a great line. Okay. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, until then, um, peace, love, and soul, and Georgopolis for the Ray Guy and Heisman. First we'll overall see. pick. I don't <laughs> care if he's underclassman. <laughs> well, we'll see you then. You know, just remember that. Remember the name. <laughs>